The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Hey, hey, welcome once again to the Disability Law Show. So good to have you along with us. Uh, Sylvain Tamarkin here, Martin Willems here as well, taking care of things in the West Coast. Pretty much covering you coast to coast outside of Quebec. You are good to go, toll free. Here's how it happens. Call through, talk to the guys, one 855 821-5900. The website is disabilityrights.ca. Email, put a help in front of that, help at disabilityrights.ca. There's also another place you can go, a website built just for your convenience and your anonymous convenience, by the way, mydisabilityquestions.com. The beauty of that one is you can ask your questions through your phone or your laptop or your, uh, your desk computer, and it's anonymous, and there's also a searchable database. That's the way the algorithm works, so you can see if a question similar to yours has already been put through the process. If not, leave it there and the fellows will get to it. Uh, today on the show, we're going to get to what you should know if suffering from addiction and applying for LTD. That is in the near future. We'll get to that, guys, but we always start off with a week that wasn't. In fact, I think this uh, this week's event, you just got a, an email you want to get through as well, right? I do, John, and we have quite mm-hmm. a few emails here waiting for us uh, to discuss. Uh, but I want to start from this one because I found it quite interesting. Uh, it is a bit long, so I'm going to try and just pick out the important parts. So here's how it starts. It's from Daniel. Uh, uh, Daniel, and 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 Daniel writes, my short-term disability benefits are about to end, and my insurance company sent me forms for long-term disability. They said over the phone that my MRI confirms an L5-S1 disc bulge oh. and facet uh, arthrosis through my entire lumbar spine looks normal and they're now trying to force me to enter a rehabilitation program when my current treatment schedule of spinal decompression and laser therapy does not end until the end of February of this year. I also have an MRI scheduled in March. They're telling me by they, he means the insurance company, that my current condition looks normal based on the December uh, 1st uh, MRI that I had done. They're trying to force me into a rehab program and I am having pain when I walk longer than 15 minutes in my lower back. I can't lift anything, I can't bend properly, uh, and and my treatments are not even done yet. Uh, They've sent me forms to extend my my shortened disability. And, And he goes on in the email and he keeps saying that the insurance company keeps coming back to him and saying that everything looks normal, everything looks normal, and he reverts back and says, look, uh, to me in the email that, you know, really there are issues that are showing up in the MRI and that, he, you know, he's a technician, so he's on his feet all day. He has various treatment providers that are helping him and he's very, very concerned, obviously, as to whether or not they're going to approve him for long-term disability. So the focus throughout the whole email, if I were to read the whole email, John, it's going to take me about 20 minutes. But the focus here is that he keeps saying that the insurance company keeps coming back and saying everything looks normal. Everything looks normal. And it reminds me of something that we sometimes talk about, which is that insurance companies often deny claims, long-term disability claims, on the basis of no objective medical documentation, no objective medical support, that word objective. And this is something that we do see, unfortunately, come up from time to time, sometimes more often than not. And it really, really bothers me because many, many conditions you cannot assess objectively. What does objective mean? To see it on an MRI, to have a broken bone? Can you provide objective proof of a headache? How about a backache? How about psychological issues like depression? What is the objective nature of this evidence that they're looking for? In his case, I really don't understand because he had an MRI. Uh, In fact, the MRI confirmed a disc bulge. 
and other conditions in his spine. Uh, so, you know, it's one of those things where I think people have a lot of anxiety with insurance companies because insurance companies always start from the proposition that they're skeptical about the application for insurance. In this case, this gentleman is on short-term disability, and so he's hoping to get into long-term disability, and we do see oftentimes people who are on short-term get approved for long-term, but we also see people getting denied when they try to move from short-term to long-term. Sometimes, ironically, that denial happens even though it's the same insurance company that's providing both the short-term and the long-term disability benefits, except that we're, you're dealing with different adjusters. One adjuster on the short-term end of, of the file says, yes, you're qualified under the disability definition to get STD, but on the LTD portion, the adjuster there says, no, you don't qualify, even though the test is identical. And, and so in those cases, we typically resolve these fairly quickly. But again, I understand the anxiety here, and I understand why it is that he's seeking help. And of course, we're, you know, we're guiding him, we're telling him what he needs to do. And ultimately, it's not about whether or not he has, quote unquote, objective medical proof, even though I think he does with the MRI. But beyond that, it's whether or not his treatment providers, his doctors, his chiropractor, anyone else is treating him, if they say that because of his condition, because of the various symptoms that he has, because of the various impairments that he has, he cannot perform the essential tasks of his own occupation, well, then he qualifies for long-term disability. And if he gets denied, we'll be able to jump in there and go after the insurance company and force them to pay what they owe. But everything starts from getting this information, right? A lot of people out there simply assume that when they get denied by the insurance company, the denial is legit, that the insurance company is correct, or maybe they should try and appeal that to someone else mm -hmm. at the insurance company, not understanding that it's in the interest of insurance companies to issue these denials sometimes for no apparent reason. And so it's our job to educate people and to help people. And again, what I tell people out there, the listeners, it's always free to get this advice from a member of our team. All you gotta do is just either pick up the phone or email us, get in touch with us. We will talk to you for free. We'll review the documentation for free and we will advise you for free. And then you'll be empowered and you'll know what your options are. Martin, any, any thoughts about this? Definitely, yes. Thanks, Savan. So uh, this is something that comes up quite often. A uh, few things to be said. Uh, when you're dealing with an insurance company and they, this hasn't happened here yet, but I've seen it happen, when they deny your claim based on, as Savan was referring to, lack of objective evidence or lack of objective medical evidence, the vast majority of policies, group policies, individual policies, do not require as part of the test for total disability that there be objective medical evidence. And that's what Sivan was referring to earlier, for example, with depression um, or chronic fatigue syndrome, for example, as well. You don't generally get objective tests to show that on an MRI or a CT scan or an X-ray that the person does have these conditions. Yet these conditions are very real and they exist. And there are doctors who specialize in treating these conditions who are much better informed as to how to deal with them and to understand what the restrictions and limitations are that would prevent a person from performing their tasks. So this has not yet happened here. The client, or so, sorry, uh, this gentleman has not been denied based on that. The insurance company is pushing him to enter into a rehabilitation program. And I think from reading this email, he has significant concerns that that program may worsen his condition and that's where the doctors also come in right so it, as i was saying earlier there are certain doctors special specialized in certain conditions who would be much better equipped and informed 
to provide an opinion on whether the proposed rehabilitation program is appropriate for the treatment. Now, the insurance company at their end may say, we had a medical consultant review your clinical records, review the MRI, and we think, based on our medical consultant's opinion, that this type of rehab program would be adequate and appropriate for you. Which, of course, doesn't make sense because this doctor who they are referring to, the medical consultant, hasn't had an opportunity to even speak to him, never mind do an examination of him, to understand exactly what the restrictions and limitations are. So in a situation like this, I always advise people to go speak to the treating physician, be at their family doctor or if it is a specialist, have the specialist review what is being proposed as a rehabilitation program by the insurance company and then put in writing why, if it is their opinion, why such a program would be detrimental to the person's condition. For example, in certain cases, and it would be like very similar to this, I've seen people being recommended to go to a work hardening program or a kinesiology program where they're already engaged in specific treatment to address the specific condition that they have. And the proposed rehab program that the insurance company is insisting on has the risk of worsening the condition to the extent that it's going to take a much longer time, if not causing permanent injury, for the person to get better, which would mean that they would be on claim for a much longer time. So the message I would say is go have a discussion with your doctor as well. Have the doctor opine in writing whether the program is appropriate and submit that to the insurance company. And if they then deny your claim, then you have a strong claim to argue. And that's when you come and speak to us. Speaking is the easy part, guys. Send those emails along. Keep that up at helpadisabilityrights.ca. And the phone number, 1-855-821-5900, completely toll-free. Unless you guys got something else to bring up, we got a, a topic for today, which is uh, which is pretty interesting. Savan, you want to you dive into that? Absolutely. Let's go into it. Here it is, what you should know if you're suffering from addiction and applying for LTD. Again, number one is this. In most disability policies, addiction and substance abuse is considered a disability. Speak to that. So that's not surprising. Uh, it's, I think, surprising sometimes for individuals out there who are suffering from this. Uh, but it's not surprising to us. Number one, uh, this is some a provision that we see quite a lot in LTD policies. Uh, you know that, again, so long as you are unable to perform the essential tasks of your own occupation or any occupation, depending on when you are, uh, when you are within that LTD process, you should be entitled to long-term disability benefits, including if it's from addiction and substance abuse. And, you know, the second reason why it's not surprising is because this conforms to human rights legislation you see across Canada, right? I mean, if you have somebody who's suffering from alcoholism, as an example, you're not allowed to fire them. If you do, you could be in breach of human rights violations. So you would be owing severance and human rights damages. And so it's something that you need to understand that if you do have a problem, a, a drug problem, substance abuse problem of any kind, medications, you know, narcotics, whatever it is, alcoholism is very, very common, especially we see that also with professionals like lawyers. Uh, you, you would be entitled to LTD if, in fact, that prevents you or disables you from working, from doing the essential tasks of your own occupation. And if you get denied for any reason, obviously you come to us because we can look at the policy and confirm that, in fact, you have that kind of a provision. 
There's two more to cover, guys. We'll take a short break. Before we get to those, we're talking about what you should know if you're suffering from addiction and applying for LTD. In the meantime, keep this number with you, toll-free to use any time. Get a hold of Martin or Savan or otherwise a member of their crew, 1-855-821-5900, and help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue with more of the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. And welcome back, Disability Law Show. So good to have you with us today. We always encourage you to reach out, have that conversation. Martin is ready. Savannah is uh, ready. they got a team behind him that will take the time and answer all your concerns and questions for sure. Sometimes there's a lot of uh, stress can be alleviated just by having that conversation with the guys. Toll free, of course, one 855 821-5900. Email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for any other questions, you can ask them through your uh, smartphone or your desktop or your laptop, whatever. Uh, and that's at mydisabilityquestions.com. But we were into this topic, guys. And three main points about this one. What you should know if suffering from addiction and applying for LTD. Number two is this. Continuing and complying with recommended treatment is absolutely vital. Seems like a no-brainer, right, uh, Martin? But you got to do it. You got to do it. You know, we, we speak about this every week. Uh, the policy is a contract. The contract has obligations, and that's one of them. Uh, in order for you to qualify for total disability benefits under the policy, you have to be under the regular care of a physician and you have to follow through with appropriate treatment. And this becomes, you know, messy. I will use that word. It becomes messy when you're dealing with addiction issues because insurance companies don't like these claims. I've seen it time and time again. And it's interesting that we're speaking about it this week because I just dealt with it earlier this week. Uh, When you're dealing with addiction issues, chances that the addiction issues or the substance abuse issues will be related in one way or another to a mental health disorder like major depression or an anxiety disorder or, you know, quite often bipolar disorders uh, are high. So you see this these going hand in hand. So there may be a substance abuse disorder that is running in conjunction with a major depressive disorder. And the insurance companies try, they often commingle those two and would say, well, if you're suffering from a substance abuse disorder, we require you to be under a specific type of treatment. And if you're not, the insurance company quite likely will deny you. The reason why I say this is messy is because the major depressive disorder may be the reason why a person has started to use substances to better treat their symptoms or to numb their symptoms. So it may be a symptom, ultimately, of the other major mental health disorder. And it needs to be understood. And it is a very, very, very difficult situation to be in for anybody living with a mental health disorder. It's easy to stand on the sidelines and to criticize people who may be drinking a lot of alcohol as a result of their major depressive disorder and say to them, well, this is what our policy requires. We do not think that you're disabled because you're not doing what you should be doing. When you're actually criticizing somebody for this very symptom that they have as a result of their mental health disorder. So when we say you need to continue and comply with recommended treatment and it's vital to your claim, that is true, but it's not so easy. And more so, many, many disability policies, if not all of them, do require that if your condition, your disability, is related directly or indirectly to a substance abuse disorder, 
the policy will require that you be, and it, the, the language on this will vary from policy to policy, but that you may be required to be in an in-treatment facility to address the substance abuse. Now, that is so much easier said than done, especially in the medical, the healthcare that we're facing in this country, because getting involved in an in-treatment facility would, number one, require that your doctor recommends that you go there, and it probably will be a psychiatrist that needs you to be um, admitted. And then it costs a lot of money. There are private programs who do this, that provide this treatment, but it can be tens of thousands of dollars to engage in a program like that. So it's not easy for somebody who may not be getting funds, who may, not be, who may have been denied already. So it really is difficult, but the, the message that we ultimately will give is follow through with whatever the doctors recommend. If there are group sessions that you should attend, or if there are AA meetings, or other types of meetings, do whatever you can at your end to show that you are trying to address it. And again, I understand it is much easier said than done, but do whatever you can, speak to your doctors on a regular basis, and make sure that you follow through with whatever advice they provide, and that involves being treated. Even if it is in an outpatient facility to address substance abuse disorders, do that because it is ultimately going to help you prevent a denial if it hasn't been denied already number three savan back to you for this one again what you should know if suffering from addiction and applying for ltd insurers often misunderstand the nature and the complexity of addiction and by that they deny claims yeah i want to say that on the number two point about treatments i couldn't add anything to what martin has has said uh, but it does uh, bleed into number three here about the fact that insurers often misunderstand the nature and complexity of addiction because it ties in oftentimes to treatments. And I remember this one case, I've talked about this before, uh, but it really does come to mind, this young gentleman who had a great job. Uh, he, was, uh, he, lived, he was living in Vancouver at the time. Uh, and, you know, the insurance company took the position that because of his alcoholism, he, he uh, had difficulty with his treatments. Uh, and at times was non-compliant and so they took the position he was non-compliant he was breaching a term of his policy and that gave them a reason to deny his long-term disability benefits which were significant and he was a young young guy so we're talking about a claim that was worth hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that the insurance company was withholding from him money that is owed to him that was our argument and so I, I picked up the phone and, and made an appointment to speak with his family doctor who happened to be uh, a, an addiction specialist as well. She just she was a family doctor, but she was also an addiction specialist dealing specifically with alcoholism. And you know, she spent a great deal of time on the phone with me, explaining to me really the nature of alcoholism and how you have to look at everything sort of uh, you know holistically. And, and in fact, with many people who are suffering from substance abuse and addiction. Falling off the wagon when you get treatments is part of that cycle. It doesn't mean the person is non-compliant. That's a very, very different thing. It's all, John, it's almost like saying that for those of us who like to go to the gym, if we have a program for going to the gym five days a week and one week we go four times a week, somehow we're non-compliant. We're not. Yeah. It's just that that particular week we went one less for whatever reason. You know what I mean? Maybe we, you know, we strained the muscle or something. For the same reason, many people who suffer from addiction, part of the disease is that sometimes they relapse. And so she explained that uh, very eloquently in a letter. And subsequently, before mediation, she explained it again. She, she provided another letter. And I can tell you that her statements and her explanations, also being a, treatment, uh, a treating doctor here, the one who was treating my client, 
was so powerful that the insurance company was left with no choice no choice but to pay out the claim and it was a significant claim that they had paid out uh, nobody really sort of my client was was beside himself didn't really believe that that was going to happen uh, and, and certainly I can tell you a lot had to do with this doctor and with the fact that insurance companies and frankly a lot of the public often misunderstand the nature and complexity of addiction and so when we have tell when we tell you we have experience in this is because we do have experience in this and if you have somebody representing you who doesn't have experience with this they won't know what questions to ask they won't know how to present this to the insurance company and they won't know how to you know really press ahead and force insurance companies to 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 come you know face to face with the reality that they're going to have to pay because if they don't a judge is going to have to force them to pay so so that's that's the key thing here is that you know uh, insurers often misunderstand the nature and complexity of it, but lawyers do too, and you need lawyers on your side, a team on your side, both medically and legally, that can properly evaluate, assess, and then represent you uh, with insurance companies. Otherwise, you tend to lose a lot of money that otherwise would be going into your pocket. Guys, always use that number. We keep telling you every uh, few minutes, but you got to write it down and keep it. It can become very useful when you least expect it, right? That's one eight five five eight two one fifty nine hundred. Email help at disabilityrights.ca. And I think we can get into our first email of the show, guys. We got uh, we got time here. Let's get to uh, Tina. Tina's up first. Says, guys, my LTD was denied by my insurer because my employer did not put in the correct dates and it was submitted after the deadline denied due to contractual reasons is there any recourse at all for me hey tina uh, thanks for sending in that question uh i i'm not 100 percent sure whether they actually would deny the claim because the insurance because the employee put down the wrong date but i have seen many denied because the application was submitted late now do you have recourse because the claim was denied on contractual reasons i would say without having seen the documents yes i believe so because they you know the insurance companies have again the contract is a the policy is a contract and it provides for certain timelines for example many will say that you have to submit or at least provide notice of claim in other words notice that a claim is coming within 30 days from the end of the short-term period or within the 30 days from the date that the the injury actually or the illness actually arose or the disability arose and then you have a certain time frame within which you must submit proof of claim and that proof of claim includes the employer submitting a document you submitting a document and your doctor submitting a document and for many reasons sometimes people miss those deadlines of course it has to be seen in context it depends on how much time has gone by before you submitted it but in this case the insurance company or sorry i keep saying the insurance company the employer submitted the incorrect date that surely is something that can be clarified i mean if you went off work on a particular date and the insurance the employer got it wrong that can be fixed if you submitted the claim late, the insurance company is going to have to say and show that they suffered some form of prejudice. In other words, that they were somehow um, prejudiced by the late application. And there's something called relief against forfeiture, which is an equity equ equitable principle. These are all types of legal terms. But what I'm saying to you is we can, when we get involved in cases like this, help you out because there may be a way to address the fact that you missed the contractual deadline in fact i have seen many many cases that were denied when the person did miss the 
notice or proof of claim provisions, or in other words, the deadline, the claim may have been submitted a few months late or even a year late. It depends on the circumstances, and we have still resolved those cases. So it is extremely important to now be in touch with us for us to review the contract, review the denial letter, and discuss with you the actual facts that have led to the denial. Why was it late? How, how late was it? So we can have a discussion with you as to what your options are. But I feel confident just listening to this that we can assist. And yes, that you do have recourse. Savannah? I agree with everything Martin said. But I'll go even further than that and say that oftentimes amongst us disability lawyers at our firm, it's one of the things I love, by the way, about our group. And we have lawyers uh, in, in Ontario, in BC, in, in Alberta, and we all talk amongst ourselves. And whenever there is a case where we may think that there is a challenge, uh, the insurance company is posing a challenge, or maybe there is a legal issue that we're not sure about, we can draw on our collective experience. And, and it's amazing what comes out of that and how creative our group can be. So I guess my point is to Tina here and anyone else, if you've been denied for any reason, whether it's a technical denial because you didn't submit a claim on time or the employer screwed up or something happened, chances are we're going to be able to find a solution that helps you because we have so many brains working here together. If Martin you know, can think of something, I may. If I may not think of something, Martin could. And then there's James and Tamar and Albert and there's so many people on our team. So it's very hard, let's put it that way, to get us uh, to, to not, you know, to tell someone that they have no case. If, however, we believe that the insurance company is ultimately correct, and if we think that there's no point for you to proceed with our claim, we'll tell you that. We're not going to drag you through a process. We're not going to tell you that you have a case when you don't have a case. Keep in mind also that we, we, you know, the way we charge, where we get paid, is only if we're able to force the insurance company to pay you. So it's also not in our interest, obviously. Our interests are aligned with our clients in that uh, whatever we're able to get for the client, we get a percentage of that. There's no upfront payments, none of that. So really the client doesn't actually have any risk from that perspective. Uh, so I, again, agree with everything uh, Martin said here. And I will tell you that I've had many cases where people have not even contacted me. It's been friends and family members of people who were denied telling me that their family members or their friends or their colleagues didn't want to proceed with an insurance company, like with a claim against them because the insurance company must be correct that they had missed something. Well, no, oftentimes we can get around those kinds of technical denials and we do so all the time. Guys, quick break. Lots more emails standing by. We'll get to those, so let's get through the break and get right back to it. In the meantime, the number to reach out to Martin, Savannah, their team, as we always tell you to do so. And it is toll-free, 1-855-821-5900. And email is help at disabilityrights.ca. And for other questions, can be asked online through your uh, with your fingers at mydisabilityquestions.com. That's free and anonymous for you to use. We continue. More Disability Law Show is on the way. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. Disability Law Show is back. John Scholes here along with Savannah Tamarkin and Martin Willems covering things on the legal end. That's where the brains are. So we'll uh, we'll get right back to it. You want to reach out to the fellows anytime. They've got a great team waiting for your phone calls as well. one 855 
821-5900, help at disabilityrights.ca. I uh, want to thank uh, Teen again for that email. Moving down to uh, Jerry. Jerry's up next says, hello, is it a conflict of interest for a recipient of LTD to be or to become a shareholder of the insurance company that represents a policyholder? If not, are there pros and cons in such a circumstance? I don't think we've ever have had that email before. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this, and no. I'm curious what what Martin thinks. But I, I, I will give you my thoughts initially, which is, uh, I, I think, I think, uh, no, I don't think that it is a conflict. That's my view. Uh, Martin may have a different view. Other people may have their their own. It's a very strange kind of a scenario here. I've never seen this. But the reason why I don't think that it's a conflict is because. Uh, you are going to have a contract upon which you are now making a claim with the insurance company. Presumably, you're not you're not adverse in interest to the insurance company here. There is a contract that entitles you to certain benefits. Now, keep in mind, if if you are denied benefits and uh, the denial is wrong, it's incorrect, it's illegal, and then you go after them legally, I think that's a different question as to whether or not then there is a, a, an issue there with you being a shareholder of the insurance company. Although I think at that point, uh, you know, it's more on the insurance companies then that there is a problem than yours. Because remember that when you're dealing with a conflict, a conflict can be waived by either of the parties. Uh, one party may want to waive it, the other one may not want to waive it. So it could create a bit of an issue here. So again, it's, it's kind of complex. Uh, but I'm not sure why you would want necessarily if, if, if you are if you are if you have an LTD policy with an insurance company, I'm not sure why you would want to be a shareholder of, of that insurance company. Uh, God knows there's enough companies out there. Keep in mind something else that if you are a shareholder of any company uh, and, and you derive income out of that, that could potentially be used by your insurance company to reduce whatever your monthly LTD amount is, if they consider that as income, if under your policy that can be construed as income. So that's something you need to, to consider, not just in the context of being a shareholder of the insurance company that's providing you with the LTD coverage or payments, but in any company for which you are a shareholder. So I'll stop there. I don't know, Martin, what you think about this. It's kind of a very interesting question, strange question. I don't think we've ever dealt with this before. No, no, and it is an interesting question. Um, for some reason, I have thought about this to some degree before. Is it a conflict to be the recipient of long-term disability benefits and you are a shareholder in the company that is paying you? You know what? Jerry may just have ended up he might have had a, a portfolio where he has shares in various companies and ended up with an employer who just so happened to have a particular insurance company as the group insurer. I, I, don't, I think it's too far removed to be able to say that there is a conflict in a situation like that because Jerry is ultimately insured under this policy uh, and that really should not come into the equation. Right, he is insured. He is a member. There's no reason. I don't think that there would be any way to say that shareholders, be they maybe a zero point zero 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 one percent shareholder, that they cannot be insured. I don't think the policy says that. Legally, is there an issue? I don't think so. And are there pros and cons in such a circumstance? You know, if there were to be a legal claim, like you say, would that change things? I still don't think it would. Um, on the issue of being an insurance, being a shareholder and deriving income from it, yes, it may be an offset, but I think it would have to be deemed to be employment income, like you're doing it as a business. Uh, whereas 
I, I just don't see that there really would be a, an issue here. It's it's more of an academic question, I suppose, because ultimately if he were to be denied and he were to take uh, legal action, I don't think this is what's going to pop up. But then again, that's just my opinion. I cannot say that's legal advice. It's a good, it's a good question, though, right? You guys could probably think about this for, for quite a long time, but got to uh, appreciate Jerry for sending out a long first time we've seen a question like that guaranteed. Uh, who's next? We got Nancy, guys, coming up here again. Help at disabilityrights.ca. Anytime you want to uh, chime in as well, may get your email on air. It says, I've been on LTD through Sun Life for the past four years due to a mental health issues. Recently, my psychiatrist advised me that he was being bombarded with paperwork, calls, medical advice from my LTD provider, and he was feeling extremely frustrated. Since advising me of this, he decided that I should try to go back to work. I have serious anxiety and a recurring twitch in my right eyelid, and I feel I'm being forced out of employment. Uh, please advise me if there are any options for me in this matter. Hey, Nancy. Thanks for sending in that question. Um, it's a tough situation to be in because normally in a situation where somebody is potentially being denied or there's a recommendation that the person has to go back to work it comes from the insurance company um, and I, I've heard this so many times before on the issue of the treatment providers in this case the psychiatrist who is very busy they're understaffed uh, they're overworked they are being bombarded with paperwork and calls um, from the insurance company. So they do get frustrated to the extent that in this case it seems that the psychiatrist is recommending a, I'm not sure if that really is the recommendation, but if if that is, that there has to be a return to work. You know, it's a, I don't know. It's a, it's a very difficult situation to be in because the insurance company can say to you, if you are not going back to work, then we can deny your claim because in this case, even your doctor is recommending it. So I think I would suggest that she, Nancy, goes and goes back to the psychiatrist and has a very serious discussion with the psychiatrist as to, pose, to discuss what that gradual return would look like. Mm -hmm. And even if she were to try a gradual return to work and if it were to fail, then she should approach the insurance company if they were to be a denial and say, look, I, I've tried this, it didn't work out, my condition worsened and the claim should be reinstated. It may also be that the insurance company may continue to pay benefits during the return to work to see if it is going to be successful. And if it isn't, then again, she may have stronger evidence to show that she tried, she did what was recommended, and it didn't work out. But I have a concern with the psychiatrist, if this is the impression that I'm getting from this email, that the psychiatrist is really fed up, frustrated, and doesn't want to deal with this anymore, and now says, well, why don't you just go back to work? Because if that is the situation, go back to the doctor and maybe have your doctor refer you to a different psychiatrist as well to see if you can get a second opinion. But insurance companies don't like that either because it comes across as doctor shopping. Let's take a quick break. Savannah, I know you might want to chime in, and uh, we'll continue on with more emails either way. So stand by for that, guys. In the meantime, it's one uh, 821 5900 That's how you reach out to the guys. Always ready to uh, to take your calls and uh, educate you as well. It is help at disabilityrights.ca. We continue with the Disability Law Show. Stand by. You're listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. 
The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment. All right, welcome back. Disability Law Show. Uh, Martin Willems here, Samantha Markin here. Reach out to the guys uh, anytime. Make a phone call, 1-855-821-5900 or email help at disabilityrights.ca. We're just talking about uh, before the break, uh, Savannah uh, Nancy's email and uh, going through the uh, mental health issues with email and the, the frustration of the uh, treating uh, people as psychiatrists as well. What, uh, what do you think, Bill? Yeah, I want to touch on this uh, a little bit. You know, we hear a lot about individuals, disabled individuals and their families getting frustrated with insurance companies, with adjusters who don't listen, uh, who often cherry pick information from the treating doctor's records or get their own doctors to opine about these matters. And oftentimes, you know, the opinions are completely invalid or just not on point in comparison with the treating doctors. And, you know, one thing that we often miss out or don't talk a lot about, which is something that does come up, as you can see from Nancy's email, is that treating professionals, doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists, physiatrists, all, you know, every kind of treating um, uh, health professional, I'm sure at some point gets extremely frustrated with insurance companies. And they get frustrated for several reasons. Uh, the most common ones being that insurance companies are simply ignoring what they're saying. That's number one, that they're simply ignoring it, that they're trying to manipulate what they're saying, cherry pick information from the reports, from whatever it is that they give them. And the, the treating physicians or psychologists or whoever is treating the person is saying, I never said that. I'm in support of my patient being off work for, for this and this reason, and the insurance company is just not accepting it. That's number one. Number two is when insurance companies bombard these uh, very, very busy individuals who are doing their best to try and help people with paperwork. And, and you know, one of the things that occurred to me right now as we're talking, John, is that you know, we have that website, that free website, ltdfaq.ca, where we have these short memos for members of the public most frequently asked questions about the most common topics like uh, CDP disability, LTD denials, appeals, all that kind of stuff. And I'm just thinking, you know what? I'm going to get my team together. We're going to create one of those memos for treating professionals, you know, because they oftentimes call us. They call us with questions. They don't necessarily tell us who their patients are. They want to maintain patient doctor privilege, obviously confidentiality, and that's okay. But they ask us questions on how to deal with this insurance company or that insurance company. The, the other problem is that many of these individuals are so frustrated by insurance companies that sometimes inadvertently they dissuade their own patients from making claims for long-term disability when in fact that is exactly what needs to be done to give the person space so that they can actually get better, so they can go to treatments and get better. And so it's really important for any medical professional out there, any health care professional, if you're in that situation, you're dealing with an insurance company that's being stubborn, uh, that's being difficult with your patient, that is being difficult with you, call us yourself. Call us, contact us. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And we'll talk to you again for free. We're more than happy to do that. I've talked to many psychiatrists and psychologists and family doctors, chronic pain doctors. I'm sure Martin has as well. We all know people like that. My, my own brother is a doctor, and you know I can tell you, he also gets, he works in the States, so I mean, insurance companies there are, are, are a different uh, beast altogether, but insurance is insurance. They are trying to not pay claims, they're trying to frustrate claimants and the treating professionals, and oftentimes they're successful. So what we're saying to people is, give us a call, call us, contact us if you need any help, if you wanna talk through the problem, even in generalities. 
You don't want to breach any confidentiality issues. Uh, we will help you. We will help your patient. We're here. We're here to try and, and give power to the other side, John, to, to you know, as, as James Fireman, a uh, partner in our group, likes to say, not to even the playing field, but to tilt it in your favor against yeah. the insurance industry. Appreciate that email again, reaching out by phone to 1-855-821-5900. Guys, let's move down to Melissa. Up next is, guys, I'm currently on LTD for three years. I'm feeling better, not 100%, but want to go back to work. How is the safest way to go back to work? Have my doctor inform HR or tell the insurance company. I've had a career for 27 years and don't want to lose my job. I have multiple illnesses, but I'm feeling better. I don't know what I should do. Can my work or insurance stop me from returning? Last I talked to insurance, they said I would not have a successful return to work, so couldn't go back. Six months later, I've improved more. Not sure who this is up to, my doctor, or the insurance, or both. Thank you. Thank you, Melissa. Uh, you know, it's an interesting situa- situation because what often we would have the insurance company tell somebody that you have to go back to work, and it's the other way around in this situation. Melissa, I would recommend, strongly recommend, that you be guided by your doctor. Can the insurance company stop you from going back to work? No, they cannot. Um, but on a, in a situation where you feel that you've been off work, your condition has improved, and it's interesting that the insurance company actually weighed in six months ago and felt that a successful return to work would not happen because your condition at that time was still disabling enough to prevent you. If you've had improvement, I don't really see why the insurance company would prevent you from doing that, but you have to be careful here because you feel that you are ready to go back to work that you want to try you yourself say that you're not 100 percent ready yet so get your doctor on board go have a discussion with your doctor i always tell everyone listen to your doctor's advice that's why they are there they can give you advice so the way to do this is have your doctor clear you and don't hide it from the insurance company uh, mm-hmm. but you have to tell them because if you do go back to work and they didn't know they may try and hold that against you at some point in the future so get the doctor on board inform the insurance company then I suppose have a discussion with the human resources at your employer and try a gradual return to work within the parameters that your doctor is recommending. And if it works, great. But if it doesn't work, keep in touch with your doctor to tell your doctor how things are going. And if you do go off again, then at least you followed through with all the ways, things that you should have done. And if your claim can continue at that point, then you approach the insurance company. And if they deny your claim, again, you come and speak to us further. Last minute is yours, Savannah. What do you say to close it off? Yeah, no, I agree with him 100%. I mean, to me, that's amazing that you have somebody who's trying to go back to work. I mean, you think the insurance company would be urging her to do so. Exactly. Uh, but again, I agree with everything Martin says. You have to make sure you get your, your medical clearance. You have to make sure that you're in communication. No one's going to stop you from going back to work. No one can stop you. But if your own doctors, for example, are saying that you can't go back to work, you should heed their advice. Uh, if your doctors are supporting you, then obviously communicate that to your company. And if your company says we have no job for you, well, then contact us because we're going we're gonna to put you in touch with one of our employment lawyers. And that is it for the day. Appreciate all your correspondence through email. You can continue on the conversation via phone with the guys. Toll free, of course, one 821 5900 That email address, one more time, is help at disabilityrights.ca. And another uh, place for you to access questions and, and, and ask them through your, your phone or your tablet, whatever is mydisabilityquestions.com. That's also free as well, so use that as you like. And we'll catch you next time on the Disability Law Show. The preceding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, 
the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of Chorus Entertainment.